tracks themselves take on very different tones based on a few criteria, but a lot of it has to do with the person who writes them, their motivations when they write them, and their overall demeanor. Most people hand out tracks for their own benefit, not that of the receiver. It's an easy way to say, I witnessed, without getting overly involved. Think about it. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of litter. And no, not worth the effort to quote unquote save anyone's soul. Whether you believe that or not, it's not worth the effort. They literally would rather see an entire neighborhood littered with these things because eventually the quote unquote right person might pick one up. People hide behind them when they don't want to witness. They hide behind them when they have no clear apologetic that they can explain. And they hide behind them to save that 20% on their dinner out. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get Unbound. Now, I can't believe that by the time people hear this, my 40s are going to be a thing of the past. Yep. This is Spider's 50th birthday weekend, and all I can say is, what the fuck? 50? I don't, I don't feel 50. I no. don't feel 50 at all. Mm -mm. I still feel like I have a lot to do before I check out, and this show being a big part of that but also a lot of other things that are happening in my life right now. It's like, there seems like there's so much yeah. ahead that I'm trying really, really hard not to look at numbers and think that they mean anything beyond chronology. I'm Spider, by the way. <laughs> and I'm Shell. And this week we are finally tackling a subject I've wanted to address for a while, gospel tracts. How do evangelicals weaponize them for various purposes, and what kind of gospel do the more popular ones out there actually represent? Spoiler alert, the most pervasive ones out there have very little to do with love or any of the positives of the gospel message. We'll look at that aspect of them more, along with a laundry list of other problems they create in a few. But first, from the files of Stop Criticizing Me and Admit I'm Right... Here's Shell with the cheese to go with a couple false prophets wine. Mm. It's more election denial and what should be considered a world record for a continuous temper tantrum over a political loss in this week's Christians Behaving Badly segment, affectionately titled Prophets Predicting Poorly. Yes, that's a great one. I like that. Why, thank you. Well, first up, we're going to talk once again about prophecy. The prophets of God are starting to sound a little desperate at this point. For instance, take Robin Bullock. Please. Yes, please. Please take him. Please take him. He's very frustrated because people are criticizing him. Oh, poor baby. Poor thing. You know, because he keeps being wrong and people keep pointing it out. It would be pretty easy to stop the criticism by just not saying that the last guy is still president and he's going to return to power really soon or he's still president anyway. We just have to wait. I find it encouraging that people are starting to call him out. Yeah. It actually is encouraging yes. that they're not all just nodding and agreeing and saying, yes, you're right. Yes. It's starting to unravel a little bit. Yeah. And I can't wait to see what happens next, especially with this guy. Yeah. This guy is particularly annoying. Yeah, he, he really is. 
But, you know, I don't know about him, but when I went to Bible school, I was always taught that a true prophet of God was never wrong. Never. Never. I don't know how we have so many prophets who get everything wrong at every turn. Because they're not prophets. Not no. that a prophet is a real thing to begin no, with. No, it isn't. It but isn't. these people have been getting away with murder for a while. Yeah, they have. In terms of what they've said, how they've backpedaled, and how they've managed to get away with it for yeah. as long as they have. I'm sure even this idiot still has enough donors to be able to be getting on with at this point. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Anyway, he's frustrated, and he will never apologize for those false prophecies he keeps spouting at every turn. Here's his rant. Well, no. How about that? Just so you can hear me, no, he yelled into his microphone. He's not going to apologize for shit. No. Because you are wrong, he declared, before asking if his premonitions were wrong, why don't it go away? Why don't it go away? Why don't it go away? Tell us, Robin, why don't it go away? How come it, it hasn't ever faded away? How come it's still a fight over that election? If it wasn't wrong and it wasn't true, then why are we still debating all of this? He continued. You're the one who's creating the I debate. Oh, I'm like, folks, it would have already passed. You keep your doctrines, but I'll tell you what, you're going to answer for trying to regulate the Lord's profits with your big education. Okay, did he just basically say, fuck your doctrine? Yeah. In that instance, it's like, let's just forget about everything that you've been taught and listen to me. Yes. Oh, that's not toxic in any way, shape, or yeah, form. Yeah, right? Ugh. You're going to answer for trying to regulate a prophet of the Lord, he warned. Ooh. Ooh. It's like, dude, we're not the ones arguing about the election. It's Christians like Bullock and Republicans who are insisting that Trump won the election even though there's no proof. And when they've tried to prove it, they keep proving that Biden won the election. Of course they do. And can I just interject something? Yes. You know, just the, the, a little, little bit from the bleeding obvious files right here. Yes. It's literally, literally been a year. Yes, it has. And I can't help but remember being told in 2016, your guy lost, get over it. Well, it's been a year. When did these people get around to, I don't know, getting over it? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. But to make things worse, he's recently heard, in the spirit, more information that he's imagined. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. Yeah. Bullock claimed that he had heard, in the spirit, Trump's advisors telling the former president not to listen to the prophets. Bullock insisted that Trump must not listen to those advisors and instead call him so that he can pass the word on from God that Trump was anointed from the day you were born to be president. And I'm sure he would, because that's the kind of ego stroking that that guy gets off on. I know. It's like, does he even know who you are? Probably not, but I'm pretty sure that if he heard that, he'd be real interested. Really? Get in touch with me, and I can tell you some of these things, Bullock said. Donald Trump, call me. Call me. Listen to the prophets. Don't let them tell you not to listen to the prophets. I heard these people talking and they told the president, I'm talking about President Trump, the president. I'm not talking about the jackal who barks over the desk of the Oval Office. I was listening to this conversation and they said, don't listen to the prophets. I'm not even sure if 45 knows who this guy is, but apparently he's open to the last guy's phone call. So there's that. 
Well, I mean, the desperation yes. that comes across here yeah. is thick. It's, yeah, it's, it's really, really thick. It's really bad. It's like, dude, I think you just need to wake up and smell the millennium. Well, yeah, there's that. But, you know, there again, I think that if 45 knew that this guy was reaching out, that he would probably indulge him. Because yeah, probably. it would be a huge ego stroke. I mean, just listen to the way that this guy talks about him. And that is the kind of thing that uh, 45 thrives upon. Yes. Is that kind of attention and that kind of praise and that kind of worship. I mean, this is somebody who literally wants to be worshipped. And if this isn't it, it certainly steps a, a toe right up to the line, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. I think it does. Yeah. So you got one more for us. Yes. One more of these so-called prophets. Well, while um, Robert Bullock is angry at his critics, Prophet Nathan French seems to be frustrated with God. Who wouldn't be? Yeah, really. He predicted in March that Trump would be back in power by April. He also predicted that the social media sites that banned 45 would be destroyed. And those prophecies haven't happened, obviously. Obviously. He's not sure what God is doing, but he knows the prophets are correct because Jesus, I guess. Yeah, Jesus is right, but yeah. not not in that context. No. More in a, oh, Jesus, more of this bullshit kind yes, of context. Yeah. really. Anyway, like any prophet these days, he was on the show Elijah Streams because of course he was. Of course he was. When asked how he responds to people who say that if God was going to put 45 back in office, he would have done so by now, he basically said that God must restore Trump to office or else the prophetic community is going to look really, really dumb. Oh, that, that, that right there is reason number one why this has to happen. Yes. So we don't look like idiots. Okay, yeah. got it. Uh, got got it. it. Here's a further statement. I took a risk to prophesy over him and Melania. What we're seeing right now is the unraveling of the enemy's plan because God's been shining the light. I saw the Lord shining a light into the dark places and all the scurrying of the evildoers or those who had worked against Christ with an antichrist spirit. We're going to see God finish what he began. The word promises that he'll finish what he began. Where people miss it and start trying to discredit the prophetic community is when they start getting the timeline messed up. If somebody gives a word that, hey, on this date, this person is going to be in office, and it doesn't come to pass, then it was a false word. It wasn't true. But if they give that word and the date they gave hasn't yet come to pass, you can't call him a liar or say that they were wrong because the time hasn't happened yet. If somebody doesn't give a date and God gives a word and speaks through the voice of his prophets, which he's doing on earth right now because there's still prophets today, there's a whole bunch of people on the planet that don't believe that there are still prophets on the earth. And so they scripturally are trying to resolve that, and they're teaching people that prophets no longer exist. He lost his train of thought he, somewhere in there. He, yeah. Because his... he went directly from one thought to another and never finished the first one. Yeah. These people, they're scrambling they're to really, try and they keep are. their voices where they think they should be. Right. And they're failing, and they know it. You know, yes. I even have to admit that I'm surprised that they're finally starting to see some backlash here. Yeah. That the people who have been listening to them are starting to doubt. 
I'm actually surprised and pleasantly so. These people do impress me from time to time with some of the things that they do. And, you know, just in a context like this, where they've been following these so-called prophets so blindly for so long and sending them money like every week or every month. And now all of a sudden they're they're having their, hey, wait a minute moment with this. And I really think that it's high time. And I'm impressed that Mm -hmm. these people are just capable enough of independent thought that they're starting to wonder whether or not they should really be putting any stock in this. I think it's encouraging. I really do. But yeah, they're really getting desperate. But as long as people keep listening to them and believing what they say, they're not going to stop. It makes money. Well, yeah, it makes money. And it makes them a lot of money. Yeah. But, you know, it's making them less over time. But they will keep this up until they either hit break even or start running in the red with what they're doing. Yeah. You know, if there are just enough people that are still stupid enough to support them, they'll still be there. Yeah. And I do think that they'll still be there for a while, but they need to change course. Mm -hmm. If they want to be able to keep fleecing the masses, if they want to maintain their support base, it's time to put this one to bed and come up with something new to scam the public with. That's yeah. that's what they need to do. They need a new angle at this point because this one is getting stale and people are starting not to buy it. And that is not good news for them. No, it you isn't. Know, they need to come up with something better at this point. Every marketing strategy, every marketing plan, everything that you do in terms of marketing anything has a shelf life. It has a start point and it has an end point. Eventually, the same old thing is not going to work anymore. And you have to come up with something else. Mm -hmm. They're at that point. Let's see if they keep belaboring this or if they come up with something new for us to make fun of. Yeah. And with that, just want to let you know that our Patreon is active at patreon.com slash unbound podcast network. If you're able to help us out with your dollars, that's the place to go to donate them. And we'll take them and do good things with them. We are looking at 88 episodes now. And that, to me, is kind of awesome. And as I've said many times before, we are just getting started. There is so much about this thing called evangelical Christianity that we haven't even delved into yet. And I want to be able to keep doing this and I want to be able to keep making it better. So if you can help us, you'll be helping us make the show better and you'll be helping more people get and stay unbound. And that is the most important thing as far as I'm concerned. If you don't have the money to spend, we get that. Help us out with your likes, your shares, your five star ratings, all the things that help podcasts grow. And together we'll make something really big, really significant out of this. We'll be able to reach more people with this messaging and hopefully get them to stop listening to what's coming from their pulpits long enough to recognize what's really going on in their church, what's really going on in their religion, and just how completely fake and unreal that it actually is. You can help us with that, with your dollars and with all the other ways that I mentioned. And we appreciate everyone who's coming back week after week to hear what we have to say next. And we promise we're going to keep the momentum up right into the new year. And beginning with next week, uh, we're actually going to talk about uh, what you do when you start looking back. Like when you're on your way out of evangelical faith and you kind of look back over your shoulder at where you've come from and the 
fears and the doubts that might seep in. We're going to kind of zero in on that stuff next week. How do you deal with the feelings of loss when you leave evangelical faith? Because I know a lot of people hold on to certain things. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes it can be the thing that kind of tugs you backward a little bit and keeps you in that emotional tug of war over what you know is right and what you know to be harmful and detrimental to your happiness, well-being, and overall emotional health. We're going to talk about stuff like that next week. It's kind of a heavy subject, but I wanted to get this one in there in time for all the holiday activities that many of us will once again be enjoying this year. You'll be in people's houses where you'll see mementos and reminders, things from the past that are going to jog memories. People will start reminiscing with you about church and youth group and all the things that were part of your life back then. How do you respond? How do you deal? Well, we're going to try and help you answer those questions next week. This is not so much about the holidays, but I think that it's relevant around the holidays. So that's why I wanted to get this out here, like right around Thanksgiving, because it'll take you to the end of the year and it'll give you some good things to think about. Thanksgiving week, we are taking a well-deserved break and then coming back with our second anniversary gala on December 5th. That's right. December 1st is two years since we launched our first episode. (laughs) And we're going to celebrate that with another edition of Unbound at the Movies, where we look at the movie Dogma from Kevin Smith. So good things coming down the line, and I've got some plans for some interesting topics for the holidays also. So more information on that as things unfold and as I get more things a little bit straighter in my head. But I've got a timeline in my head for what I want to do leading up to the end of the year, and I think everybody's going to enjoy it a lot. So with that little bit of a tease to get you coming back next week, hopefully, let's just dive right into our main segment. start out with the obvious question. I always like to lay this kind of a foundation with the things that we talk about. Let's just answer the question right off the bat. What is attract? Well, attract is a quote literary work. Let's be sure we use that term as loosely as possible in this context. It's a literary work that is usually religious in nature. The definition of what a tract is has changed quite a bit over time. By today's standards, a gospel tract refers to a brief pamphlet that is used to communicate religious ideas. They are typically handed to someone in passing or they're left in random places to be found and read later. In other words, they basically create litter and lots of it. And I'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. Tracts have also been used in the past to convey governmental messages and propaganda. Propaganda bombs filled with leaflets have been used in every war the U.S. has been involved in since the advent of military aircraft. As late as 2015, and probably even later, the U.S. was using propaganda bombs to convey messages to groups like ISIS and its sympathizers. So this is not a new thing, and it is still a current thing. But getting back to the actual subject of gospel tracts, these things work the exact same way as your average propaganda bomb. The delivery method is usually a bit different, although if you ask the residents and visitors to Lake George, New York, they might say what a certain local youth ministry does with them is about the same. And again, I'm going to get into that in just a minute. But before we start talking about all the modern craziness 
that surrounds tracks, let's look a little bit back in time at the history of gospel tracts, because I was even surprised to learn how far back this goes. The distribution of tracts predates the development of the printing press, with the term being applied by scholars to religious and political works at least as early as the 7th century CE. In the 14th century CE, tracts were used to disseminate the teachings of John Wycliffe, and he was kind of a nutter, but he had a lot of passion. It cost him. It really did cost him. He was not a person who was very well liked. I mean, we're talking decades after he died, there were still people pissed off enough at him that they actually exhumed his body and burned it. I have to wonder if the same thing's going to happen to Jack Chick eventually. You know, I got to wonder. But tract writers and distributors wasted no time harnessing the power of the printing press to produce their persuasive religious material. Even Martin Luther was a proponent of an avid user of tracts as a means of spurring on the Protestant Reformation. Tracts are believed to have played a large role in the formation of the Lutheran movement in Christianity. And when applying a specific definition to them, the 95 Theses could also be looked at as a tract just a lot longer than the average one. Right. That document served the exact same purpose as a tract, but again, was much more long form. But then again, there are tracts out there that are also much more long form than the more simple ones that we'll be doing a little compare and contrast on later too. Right. Now, you found some interesting stuff out there yeah. from an historical standpoint right. of what tracts looked like kind of at the advent of evangelicalism, the early 1900s right. and forward. So let's, uh, let's tell the audience a little bit about that. Well, I found a lot of images, and they'll be in the show notes. Uh, links to the images will be in the show notes, the ones that I'm talking about. Most of them are from one of my favorite blogspot blogs, Old Time Religion. The contents are mainly vintage images of Christian ephemera, including tracts, photographs, record and book covers, and religious outsider art. This first one is from 1902. It's a picture from a book called The Devil in Society. It's an image of a young woman clearly dressed for a party with a nice off-the-shoulder gown. Her shadow is cast on the wall, and it is in the shape of a devil. Pointy horns and tail and the typical silhouette. It's unsure if the woman is the devil, if her gown is the devil, or the dancing and reveling at the party she will go to is the devil. They don't really make that clear, but it's clearly an image meant to stick with you. It was 1902. Of course it was her. It was the whole package. Yes. All of that imagery was the devil, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And the the caption on this is the dark shadow of fashionable society. Oh, goodness gracious. Very dramatic. It's nice to know that some things don't change. I mean, they're, (sighs) they're criticizing her appearance the same way that they do now. The same way that they did when I was a teenager and I went to a certain Bible camp and they looked the girls up and down to make sure that those shorts were fingertip length but gave the boys hall passes all the time. Oh, yeah. Sure. All right. Second one here is a Sunday school guilt card from 1912. Again, something that they still do. They still do this. Oh, hell yeah. And this is such a weird one. 
the little card, it's like a postcard, has a picture of a redheaded boy in a sailor costume with one tooth missing. All right, then. Because there was one out of our Sunday school class last Sunday. Yeah, basically, they're making a pun. They're making a pun. It's not a good one, but it is a pun. I think at that point in time, it wasn't that uncommon to dress little boys in like sailor suits and whatnot. I think that that was kind of a typical thing. It was probably a meme of that era, having the one tooth out to represent something missing. Mm -hmm. So there was one out of our Sunday school class last Sunday. Was that somebody you... Listen to our pleading. Don't let that happen again. We want every member present every Sunday. And it's just like, I, it's yeah, like, it's, it's, it's so creepy. Dra- it's dramatic, but it is creepy. That's it's part of the reason. Creepy. It's part of the reason that I like these things so much is because the older they are, the creepier they are. Yeah, they got away with more back then. Yes. It was more subtle when I was a little bit younger, and we used to get the same kinds of notes and cards and whatnot. Yeah. Those were a little bit more pleasant in nature than this. Yes. But the underlying message was always the same. We're watching you, and we knew you weren't here. Guilt, guilt, guilt. Oh, yeah. But perfect attendance was something to be attained. I've seen some jewelry, like a pin, for perfect attendance, and you'd get another pendant to add on to that pin with year one, year two, and so on. My grandmother had one. Oh, really? Yeah, with like seven years on it. Oh, man, that's crazy. It is. And, you know, I thought I was doing well when we were working with that one church in Belchertown. Yeah. And I literally didn't miss a Sunday for well over a year. Oh, yeah. Because I basically was the music ministry for a long time there. And without the title, I was also basically the associate pastor. Mm. So, yeah, I never, literally never missed a Sunday. Even when we went to visit my mother, if we were there on Saturday, we always went home. Yes. Because Sunday morning, it was just, we were going to be at church. Seven years? Yeah. That's commitment. That's commitment. That's commitment right there. Yeah. But she was very a very committed member of the Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a big deal. Here's another tract from the early 20th century. It looks more like it's towards the um, 1900s to 1920 type of time frame. Okay. It's made up to look like a ticket to the Railroad of Salvation. Scenery is unsurpassed. There's dining cars on every line, but no sleeping cars or smoking cars. You can catch it at Conviction Station. The fair is thy sins. What? Okay, so sleeping is sinful? No, no sleeping. You cannot sleep. You'll never sleep again because you're going to heaven. Oh, for heaven's sake. Okay. Yes. All right, I got it now. That's, okay, that's also a little bit creepy. It is. I I read that the first time and all I could think of was the whole Freddy Krueger rhyme, 9, 10, never sleep again. Yes. Uh, like, oh, That's dear a Lord. creepy. It, it, it had a very creepy connotation to it in my head. And even more so, I think, now that you explained it, I think it's even creepier yes. what they're trying to convey here. I mean, there are, you know, there's more words. There's like a little description of the trip and no return tickets or half fair passes will be issued. That's what it says. Mm-hmm. Tickets must invariably be purchased before entering the cars. It's really old. And so it's the just train like, represents death. The, 
Yes. Yes. Okay. It's the trip to heaven. Okay. Yes. So either you have to be dead to get on the train or the train itself is death carrying you to heaven. Is this where they got that song? This train is bound for glory. I think that song might have predated it. Because that there is an oldie time camp meeting song. Yes. It sounds to me like it could have been inspiration for this or that could have been inspiration for the song or something Either way. else. There's there's a lot of uh, tie-ins here that I'd yeah. be real interested to know if there was if there was a connection between yeah. the two. You Probably. know how many times I had to sing that song in youth group? <laughs> I'm Jesus. sure it was oh, a lot. God. Oh yeah, don't even um, get me started on how many times. But yeah, the train an- analogy is is a pretty common one though. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it always has been. Yes. But then the the tie-in here I think is it's definitely that it's it's noteworthy. This train is bound for glory. Don't carry nothing but the righteous and the holy. Oy. And you'll never sleep again. Oh, God, that's so creepy. Okay. Yes. All right. It is. I'll shut up. Keep talking. <laughs> and a lot of the tracks, um, they were more like invitations to special events at a church, like this one from 1923. It is a little invitation card to, I guess it's a sermon called The Great White Throne with Reverend Wilson. And apparently he has God-given authority to announce how long Judgment Day will last. Because of course he does. Of course. We did this. I can remember doing yeah. inner city outreach. Right. And, and you would print up would like little have, things. Yeah. We would have um, literature just like this. Yes. That I guess in the academic sense, you could probably call it a tract. Yeah. But it was more like a flyer for yeah. the event. It's more like a flyer, but I mean, it's a little card that you would hand to somebody. Yeah. You would stand out on street corners and hand them it out. It qualifies. Because, yeah. It you're, pretty you're, much You're qualifies. still using it to witness. It qualifies. Yes. All right, I got two more, and these are a couple of my favorites. This first one is a stark black and white image with a skull in the center and very dramatic fonts. Um, This is from the early to mid-1900s. Above the skull is written, every sin points to death. And there's a bunch of, like, drawings of hands with fingers pointing to the skull with various sins written on them, like lying blasphemy and unbelief oh yeah no you showed me that yeah it's uber creepy creepy i love it though it's one of my favorites one side of the tract has the phrase god says sin when it is finished bringeth death and the other side says sin never wears its grave clothes when it comes to court the ruin of your soul oh dear lord to court the ruin of your soul dramarific thank goodness they're not being too overwrought with that yes imagine if they were one more that i have i mean there's many more on the site i enjoy keep going all night we could but you know after a little while it does start to get a little repetitive because the messaging doesn't change and the motivation behind the messaging doesn't change but you have to admire these people for their creativity. It's very they found creative. a lot of ways to say the exact that, same yes. thing. It was you caught the eye and it was memorable. Mm-hmm. Like all of these images are very memorable. Yeah. This last one is from 1942. The uh, heading is the laundry line of Christian life. 
It depicts a woman hanging linens out on a clothesline. It's actually very detailed. Each of the linens has a laundry-related phrase about Christian life, like washing, purified, and rinsed in the water of life. The sun above her says bleaching. I wonder if they had a copy of Petra's album, Washes Whiter Than. Yeah, I think it's about the same idea. And Because that was what came immediately to mind, was the, the cover of that album. Yeah. 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 And uh, the last piece of clothing on the line has flown off the line. And if you look really close, you can see the winds of tribulation blowing the sheet off the line. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that one must have been aimed at women folk. I still really like it. The art is detailed, and there's so much to look at. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, it sticks with you. Let's be clear. We like the aesthetics of it. We don't like the messaging. No, it's terrible. But you have to admire the work that went into some of these. Yes. And just the passion that went into them. Imagine if those passions were directed towards something that, was actually worthwhile that actually would have a good social impact it really would have been interesting to see what these people could have done with this stuff from a secular standpoint yeah it would have been very interesting to see how that would have panned out but yeah thanks for those descriptions and yeah the uh the links to all of the images will be in the show notes and they're definitely worth looking at yeah it's pretty wild yeah, if you're any kind of history buff or art buff, yeah, um, you can learn a lot about the time period that these things were produced just by looking at the imagery and the language of them. Yes. There's a lot there to to be taken in and just enjoyed for the aesthetic quality that they bring and just what they tell us about people yeah. at that point in time. Uh, religious people or non-religious people or whatever, because, you know, then they're different. Yeah. They're very, very different than what you see in the messaging of tracks today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of them were a little aggressive and, and a little bit on the sinister side of things, mm-hmm. but nothing like what we're going to be talking yeah, about in a no. few minutes. No, but, they kicked it uh, up a notch. Oh, yeah. But before we get into the seamy underbelly of <laughs> tracks and what most, I, I, I don't know about most, but what a lot of people will immediately jump to when they hear the word gospel tract. Let's talk a little bit about the effectiveness of tracts. So here's the $64 question of the evening. Are tracts effective? Well, if you ask Christians, they will answer in the affirmative without hesitation. Of course, their answers have literally no basis in any kind of observed result or compiled data. They believe, there's that fucking word again, Mm that they are effective for one reason and one reason only, because they help spread the gospel. From the average evangelical's perspective, all tracts fulfill their purpose. And to make their point clear, they use the parable of the sower as their defense. This is Matthew 13, 3b through 8, reading from the NIV. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. 
basically, the argument is that if you hand someone a tract, they will all be one of the three distinct types Jesus mentions in this parable. Some will reject the tract and its meaning outright, and those are the rocky grounders. Some of the tracts will find their way into the hands of people who know how to think. These are the thorny grounders, the ones who read them from the standpoint of skepticism and let the messaging die inside their heads. And some will lead to people going to the church stamped on the back or getting saved as a result of hearing the gospel message in this way. I'm sure some people have gotten saved as a result of reading a tract. The gospel can, of course, have a strong influence on the weak-minded, too, and does, Mm. absolutely does. But what about the tracts that people just sort of kind of leave in random places? Because that happens. Mm. And in far too many cases, it's encouraged. Well, they have an answer to that question, too. Because, of course, they do. What purpose do these tracts serve? You know, in those instances, they'll tell you that God himself decides who sees them, which in many cases makes them more significant than one that you just hand to somebody. Even the ones that blow away in the wind and litter the neighborhood have apparent purpose in God's kingdom. I literally had someone use this analogy with me once. He said, and I quote, millions of sperm make their way to the egg, but it only takes one to fertilize it. So, yeah, seriously, that statement, as far as I'm concerned, can be taken a number of ways. But I think they all boil down to one of these two basic interpretations. Either we're supposed to assault people with tracts until they see a title that jibes with them and they have a spiritual epiphany or that it's okay to litter a town with a million tracts if just one person finds one, reads it and gets saved. Either way sounds ridiculous to me, and I have a seething savior complex. Mm. That part of me would, and did, think like this, and it wouldn't have cared which scenario played out. An excess of litter was a small problem in comparison to the loss of someone's soul, after all. But now comes the part where time marches on. And attitudes towards certain things start to change. And people start observing, making observations about certain things like, you know, litter. There are a lot of problems that come along with distributing tracts. In fact, there are so many, there are so many problems with this that we could actually do an entire series on the actual harm they do, both to the environment and to the individual. But... We're going to zero in on two of the bigger ones. We're going to talk about litter, and then we're going to talk about a little problem that uh, your average service worker will tell you is like one of the biggest things that pisses them off about this. But let's talk first about the environmental impact. During certain events, especially when large groups are out witnessing or promoting nearby events, the sheer number of pamphlets and tracts that get tossed on the ground or blow away from the places they're left create a huge problem, and the churches involved almost never make a reasonable effort to prevent litter. They might make muted calls to action to pick them up if you see them on the ground, but most would actually rather they stay on the ground where they might be found later. They literally would rather see an entire neighborhood littered with these things because eventually the quote-unquote right person might pick one up. Mm. Still, more recently, it has become a priority to at least put a cleanup plan in writing because there are plenty of cities and towns that have cracked down on track distribution to prevent littering. 
as long as the church tells people how to distribute them in a way that minimizes littering, they're far less liable for an increase in litter. Mm. So the town can't come after them legally. Right. You know, they, they can't sue them for it. They can give them a lot of shit for it, but they can't really do anything about it from a legal standpoint because the church is telling people, don't do this. And people turn around and they do it. So then it becomes the responsibility of the individual and not the organization. How convenient. But I just want, you know, I talked about this a while ago when we were talking about the youth ministry agenda, how when you went to Word of Life for more than one week at a time, you were part of a program called Two Week Adventure. And one of the things that they used to have us do was we would go into the town of Lake George right, to witness. You know, Far be it for a bunch of teenagers to want to go into this nice tourist town and actually have fun. No, we were there with an agenda yes. and we were there to witness. And piles and piles and piles of tracts that we were supposed to literally walk up to people and hand out. They told us pretty specifically not to leave them in random places because in some places they're just not allowed. And in some places they're considered enough of a nuisance that the organization had gotten some flack in the past. We weren't supposed to leave them on cars. We weren't supposed to leave them like in an unattended picnic spot. You know, somebody walks away from their picnic blanket and then they come back and there's a gospel tract. They didn't want us doing stuff like that. They wanted us to literally walk up to people, hand them to them, and invite them to this little presentation that we were doing at the park nearby. So we did. And we still found a mess of them on the ground because a lot of them went directly into someone's hand. They looked at it, saw what it was, and just literally tossed it. And, you know, let, let's not try and point judgmental fingers at these people for just tossing them because I would want that shit out of my hand as fast as possible too. If I thought then the way that I think now, I don't think that I would litter. I would find a place to throw it out, but I'm not everybody else. You know, that's people have different attitudes about that sort of thing. And I also know that they will toss it just to make a statement. So you see that they just tossed it away. And I actually had that happen to me more than once. And, you know, a couple of times it was a little bit scary because I handed the person a tract and they were so irritated and so frustrated by it that I got nasty looks and had them sometimes tossed literally right back in my face. And in the mindset that I was in at the time, I looked at that as a sort of victory because didn't Jesus say that people were going to hate us because mm. of him? And weren't we told that we should expect to have trials and tribulations and that people would reject us and hate us and all of that? So when stuff like that happened, we just sort of chalked it up to this is part of the plan. Mm. But... The other part of the plan was when everything was done, when we had done our presentation and we had spent a couple of hours just literally littering Lake George with these tracts, we would then take the time to go back through town, backtrack where we had been and pick up what we could find. And we did. And there was usually a pretty big bag of them by the time we were done and still more flying around. We did our best, but there were still a lot. And you got to figure, these things go into the street, they go into the sewers, 
They go into the lake. Yeah. Think about it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of litter. And no, not worth the effort to quote unquote save anyone's soul. Whether you believe that or not, it's not worth the effort and the damage that it causes. Now let's talk about the one that really, really personally pisses me off. Mm. And that's these asshole evangelicals that have the nerve, the audacity, and the unmitigated gall to leave tracts as tips at restaurants Mm -hmm. and in other contexts where tipping is customary. Evangelicals have had for a long time a nasty reputation for leaving tracts as tips at restaurants. Not with tips, mind you, as tips. And here's the, the real sinister part. This is the part that really pisses me off. There have literally been tracts printed to look like $1, $5, 10 and $20 bills, even $100 bills on the outside with a brief gospel message printed on the inside. A quick Google image search instantly uncovered a picture of a tract made to look like a $10 bill with this message printed inside. You open it up and it has this message. Disappointed? You won't be if you let Jesus Christ become the Lord of your life. Then it lists John 3.16 and Romans 10.9 and 10 and says, ask Jesus Christ into your life and you can have peace and joy. Then it says, you are loved, Romans 5.8 and 1 John 4.9. Who is going to give two shits what you have to say Mm. about God loving them when you just insulted the living shit out of them with one of these? Really? It's, it really, it, this, this one in particular is really, really rage inducing because the simple fact that it has the word disappointed on it tells me that the underlying purpose of this was to be left for someone in place of a tip. That was the purpose of this. And I think that that is just absolutely unconscionably horrible. And then there's this. It looks like half of a $20 bill. Mm -hmm. And when you open it up, it says, don't be fooled. There is something you can have more valuable than money. And then there's a backside to this that I had a hard time finding. But I've seen this one before. And when you turn it over, there's more evangelistic messaging and whatnot. And I'm sorry, you just pissed off a server in a restaurant. They're not going to care about your religion. You're not going to sell them on the concept of your religion after you just fuck them over. That's not something that's going to happen. But, you know, for a long time, they use stuff like this and justified it by saying, well, we're giving them something better than money. Well, here's the thing. If I can pay my rent with God's love, then thank you. But since I can't, fuck you. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be my sentiment if I was on the receiving end of this. And I'm sure that there are even more of these, but these are the ones that I've actually seen in the wild. And, you know, I was mortified by them back in the day. And I was also wildly embarrassed more than once being in a group of Christians who decided that it was okay to do this, to just tip with tracts. And one time I actually saw somebody pull out a tract and I knew what the intention was there. And I was like, oh no, 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 we're not doing this. But I was like so totally outnumbered. And it was one of just a few times, just a few 
But the fact that it happened more than once is still infuriating. Yeah. Where I wound up tipping for an entire table full of Christians about to fail miserably at communicating Christ's love to a service worker. Because that's just not how you do it. Right. You know, I never had a problem leaving a tract with a tip, but I always had a major problem of leaving a tract as a tip. Yeah. But, you know, for the most part, I have to say I did run with a pretty decent crowd. Even my teenage friends understood when we went out to friendlies or whatever it was that we were doing, we understood that we had to take care of our servers. And we did. And, you know, it's the ones that were a little bit older who just didn't seem to understand that when you go out to a restaurant and you look at what your meal costs, that you in your brain you need to just add 20% to it because right. that's it's only right. It is only right to leave a tip. Regardless of how good or bad the service is, it's only right to leave a tip. You don't know what's going on in that person's head, in their life, what happened with the last table they served and how they were treated. You know, we aren't robots. Your boss can tell you to put on the happy face. Right. You can be told this is how you need to behave. We are human beings. And it's not always going to be that way, which is why I always say, you know, I don't expect when I go into a restaurant or any place where I'm going to encounter a service worker, I don't care about a smile. All I care about is professionalism and that what I went there to get, I get. That's it. And if we can accomplish that mission, then I'm perfectly happy. I don't have to have my boots licked. I just need to be able to get through the experience and hopefully without a whole lot of bumps in the road. And especially right now when restaurants are very, very low staffed, you know, I'm just, I'm happy to see the food come out. I'm not judging how the job gets done and I'm not judging the person who's doing the job. You know, again, I, I ran with a pretty decent crowd, but I can think of three times off the top of my head when I was called upon to tip for an entire table. And surprise, surprise, two of them had to do directly with Mission Impossible. Yeah. Episode 11 for more on those people. And there was one time that I was really, really embarrassed, but we were all embarrassed. Everyone who was in that group walked away from the situation really embarrassed because we literally, a bunch of friends from college, we hadn't seen each other in several years. We go out for dinner and we leave the restaurant and we're in the car driving away. And we realize that we did not only did we not leave a tract on the table, we didn't leave a tip. We left nothing for this person. And we're like 10 minutes down the road and we're all looking at each other. Did you leave a tip? Did you tip? Did you tip? And then it was like none of us thought about this. We were so enthralled in the conversation and what was going on, we didn't think about it. So in that instance, of course, we turned around. We And I went back in the restaurant and left the server a tip. And at that point, we had the brilliant idea, you know, since we're going back and we're making good on this, it might be a good time to strike while the iron is hot with this person because they'll have a higher opinion of us if we go back and we leave them a tip. So one of the people in our group had a little box, the little, little a box full of tracts, and they were all different kinds of tracts. And this one, it was it was kind of cute, <laughs> and we thought that it would make her laugh if nothing else. It was this little tract, and it was round. It was a it was a round booklet 
that on the outside it said this is a round to Do it. it. Okay, you, you've seen it. I've seen okay? these things, yeah. And then you open it up, and then there's this whimsical gospel message about, you know, you, you keep saying that you're going to accept Jesus when you get around to it. Well, now you have a round to it, so it's time <laughs> to accept Jesus. It was campy and silly, but at least it wasn't of the ilk that we're about to talk about. Yeah. And it also, let's just say she got more than 20%. She did well that night because yeah. we felt so guilty. You know, a little bit of guilt can go a long way. Yes. And it can benefit you as a server in a situation like that. <laughs> so we, at that point, thought that we might be able to do this person a little bit. Didn't think think about what the mindset was, where we were at the time. We thought that this was a good time to kind of get the gospel in there under the radar because we actually did the right thing. And I'm certain that she could tell that we were Christians. And wasn't surprised that we didn't leave a tip. Yeah. So the fact that we came back, made the effort, and really tipped her well, it's like, no, we gotta strike while the iron is hot here. <laughs> and we're gonna leave we're gonna leave the tip with this tract, and hopefully good things will happen. So yeah. that was the end of our story. And at that point in time, our intentions were good. It really sucks that more people don't think about how their actions impact the other person right. to that degree. Because it's important to understand that you're dealing with human beings. And I just don't think, I just don't think that some evangelicals that find themselves in those kinds of situations really understand that respect goes beyond their own. Yeah. On the other side of that equation, I don't think that I've ever met a server at a restaurant who has been at the job for a while, who hasn't at one point or another been tipped with a gospel tract. And just a gospel tract. Some of them have these cheery thank you messages on the outside, followed by a sales pitch for the gospel. Um, who on earth thinks that someone making $2 an hour will, will appreciate being sold a religion in exchange for money they could use to pay their bills? The answer? No one. And not even the people who do it. Not even the people who pull this shit. Tipping with tracts is a very rude and selfish way to hide your ungrateful nature behind a religion that bases itself on the concept of grace. How dare you? I care enough about you to sell you my religion, but not enough to help you pay your rent. If you tip with a tract, that's what you're telling people, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. And I think that anyone listening to this show understands that. Mm. But I also know what this thinking does to you. And I know that there are also probably people out there who are kind of scratching their heads trying to figure out what precisely is wrong with this. Well, this is precisely what's wrong with it. These people are making two bucks an hour and no one can live on that. So it's up to you when you enter a restaurant to understand that you have a responsibility to that person and not to lord the tip over them based on how well they lick your boots. Yeah. Okay, that's just ridiculous, especially in this day and age. And just on, on a little bit more of a personal note here, if you're skipping tipping for any reason, on behalf of tip-reliant service workers everywhere, stay the fuck home. Do not call for delivery. Get takeout or cook your food yourself, period. I get a little hot under the collar over this, but it just, you know, I, it's not something that's ever touched me directly, but I see what it does. Yeah. And I've watched people struggle. And I don't think that the average person who can actually afford that meal out understands that the person who's serving them probably couldn't without their discount. 
Yeah. Now, I did find a website that sells tracts that did have some good advice mixed in with the bad and the nonsensical about how to distribute them and some of the do's and don'ts. But at least, at least they had the nerve to say this much. You know, there's there's some good stuff here. There's some, some kind of stupid stuff mixed in too. But I think that I have separated the meat from the bones here. And these are some of the tips that they give you. If you are purchasing tracks for distribution, this is how you should go about it. Number one on the list, don't litter. Tracks left outdoors can easily blow around and become a nuisance to those who have to clean them up. That's not going to spread the gospel. Sorry. Don't leave tracts in post offices or other places where literature is prohibited. That's good advice for anyone. Mm -hmm. Don't force tracts on people. Don't be rude when someone turns down your tract. Don't trespass. Don't go on people's property to leave them tracts. No. Don't cause damage by sticking tracks to houses or cars or whatever. How would you stick one to, I mean, you're, are you going to literally glue a tract to someone's house? I, I've never personally seen that, but I wouldn't put it past them either. <laughs> um, don't leave a tract in place of a tip. It is a very poor testimony. So they cover their ass as well. Yeah. They do. But honestly, I'm not sure if evangelicals are actually learning anything in this arena or if they are just trying to disassociate from the practice of things like track tipping and the other shit on this list. So they personally don't get blamed for it, especially if you're selling them. You kind of want to distance yourself from stuff like that. So I have to wonder, are they learning or are they really just covering their asses? And I think anyone who listens to this show knows pretty much where my opinion goes on that one. And just so that we're clear, most people hand out tracts for their own benefit, not that of the receiver. It's an easy way to say, I witnessed, without getting overly involved. Right. You can hand it to them and keep walking. It's actually more than the average Christian is willing to do. But, you know, if you're committed to trying to fulfill your commission, it's a way that a lot of people decide to go about it because it's basically hit and run. Yeah. And at that point, it's up to the person to decide whether they're going to accept or reject the message in it. Tracks themselves take on different tones, very different tones, based on a few criteria, but a lot of it has to do with the person who writes them, their motivations when they write them, and their overall demeanor. Mm. You know, to do a quick compare and contrast, here's an example from a tract written in the past few years. And this one is, it's pretty innocuous. It's a tract that's titled, Are You Ready? And the messaging in here, it's persuasive, but it's friendly. It does kind of have a warning edge to it. And most tracts do have that warning kind of edge to them. But the language in this one is pretty soft in comparison to some that I've seen. I'm just going to read a little excerpt here. This one's like four pages four pages-ish long. And it says, have you experienced this new birth? Have you turned to God in repentance, admitting that you're a sinner in need of salvation? Have you given up the false idea that you can earn God's favor through your own good works? Have you by faith accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do not resent these personal questions, for they are intended to lead you to blessing. Okay, that's what you get in around right. 2021. <laughs> Let's look back 
<laughs> at, at a little gem from the 1970s called The Burning Hell. And just the, the messaging here is presented just a little bit differently. A little. But here is what you got from a tract around 1974. One day in hell, you will not have to be bothered by some Christian trying to give you a gospel tract. Neither will you have to worry about a soul winner knocking on your door and inviting you to go to church. No, sir. But you will be remembering every gospel sermon you ever heard, every gospel tract you turned down or tore up, each kind word from your mother, preacher, or Christian friend pleading with you to be saved. You too will one day be like the rich man you just read about in Luke 16, 23, and 24. You will be crying and begging for one drop of water to cool your scorching tongue. But it will be too late. Whew. That's a lot. Yeah. And That's... it's a small excerpt from yeah. that tract. There is so much more and... I do have a link to that one, too, where you can actually read the text. It was difficult finding the text. Yeah. But I did actually finally find it. Mm -hmm. And the whole damn thing is there with a generous smattering of lampooning of the whole thing. Oh. So, you know, it's actually a fun read in the context of this person making fun of it as he reads it, basically. But just think about the difference between the messaging of the first tract and the second tract. And you learn a lot about the motivations of the people who write them. So I think that statement right there makes a really, really good segue into a conversation about an asshole by the name of Jack Chick. Mm. On the latter extreme, where you've got someone writing tracts that are basically supposed to assault you with the gospel, mm. we have an individual named Jack Chick an angry asshole who wants you to know that you might be a piece of shit. Okay, let's just say it. You are a piece of shit. But Jesus fucking loves you anyway, and you need to take what I have to say seriously or you'll burn in hell forever. Mm. That kind of encapsulates every message of every Jack Chick tract out oh, there. Yeah. Now, for a lot of people, the term gospel tract is synonymous with these little rectangular staple booklets you know, the ones with their frightening black outline cartoons on far too cheerily colorful backgrounds with the title to the right in glorious white on black. That's the basic description of a chick tract. And the format has been emulated, tweaked, and outright stolen by a number of tract writers over time, too. There are a lot that follow the format of a chick tract, and some even follow the fractured morality play format of chick comics. When I was researching this and I started reading through some of the old chick tracts again, I also started thinking about, you remember mm -hmm. from my radio days, that God awful radio show unshackled. Yes. So this is basically the same type of thing. It's overly dramatic and any chick tract could have been made into a radio drama. Oh, yeah. They could have all been done like that, but the whole morality play format of it was something that I hadn't really thought about before. But now that I've read through several of them again, mm -hmm. I mean, with all due respect, you could read one of these things and get the message to all of them because it's just different characters basically playing out the same scenario. And every now and then he switches it up to make sure that he has some group of people that he hates in the crosshairs. Yeah. That was always the way that he did things. Jack Chick actually died in October of 2016. And we're going to 
actually look at some other people's commentary on that event in a couple of minutes, too. That's going to be fun. But I don't think there was a non-evangelical people group out there that Jack Chick didn't just flat out hate. And while I was trying to put a bullet list together in my head of all the different groups of people that he showed blatant and outward hatred toward in yeah. his tracts, along comes an author named Brandy Zadrozny, who favored me with this list from her 2017 article, Evangelical Cartoonist Jack Chick Was the Dr. Seuss of Hate Lit. It's kind of a wordy title, but I love it. Yeah. Um, I love the sentiment in it. And here's the short list of people that she cites that Chick hated. Women, witches, gays and lesbians, teachers, Dungeons and Dragons players, atheists, Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, and worst of all, Catholics. That's her list. He was also not a fan of Muslims, Freemasons, or the concept of evolution. Those also come up repeatedly in Chick Tracts. Uh, Jack Chick's work was also hopelessly racist, particularly evident in tracts written to quote-unquote reach black people. And yes, there's a whole list of them on his website. I'm not even kidding. All the tracts on the website are categorized, and some of the older tracts have been rewritten to appeal to more groups like women and blacks. And that's far from all there is. There are currently 47 categories of tracts on the JTC website, and they are still churning out new hate rags to win over the masses to this day. Five years after his death. Yeah. And they are still churning out this shit. Mm -hmm. And some of these tracts, I mean, they're, they're mini comic books, to be perfectly honest. Some yeah. of them are up to 25 pages long. These are not two-minute reads. No. There's a whole story that unfolds in these things. And they're just loaded bogged down with hate-filled vitriol and just read this line and tell me that it doesn't feel like you're about to lose IQ points just reading this. This is a quote, a real quote from a Jack Chick tract called The Bull. Quote, as of now, all killing stops. There will be no more raping because I just found out that God hates sodomy. Wow. Isn't that a great reason to not rape someone? Wow. That is a direct quote. And it's representative of the types of sentiments and the way that they're delivered in these tracts. Uh, Zadrozny then does a stellar job in her article of synopsizing a number of tracts and then links to all of the ones that she reviews. I won't insult her by sitting here and just reading her stuff for the next half hour, but I could. But I will totally recommend that you read the article on the Daily Beast. The link is right there in the source list at the head of the show notes. And it is a good read. I very, very much recommend just tapping on that and you'll get a, a, what I consider to be a pretty good fuck eulogy of this guy. <laughs> yeah. And there are others out there too. But, you know, I didn't really have to, I didn't really have to plagiarize too much of her stuff to get what I was looking for here. I went out looking for recurring themes in Jack Chick tracts because, you know, like I said, most of them come back to the same basic messaging, but there are a certain number of tropes and themes that show up regularly in these things. And tvtropes.org has a delightful list of them <laughs> that I'm going to paraphrase or outright steal, but the, uh, <laughs> but, but the link is there. So you'll be able to know which is which. 
But here are some of the themes that show up in Chick Tracts. Most American adults have never heard about Jesus and are stunned by the details of the gospel. If they do know who Jesus is, they don't know much about him because, you know, Christianity is the one true religion, but it's not really all that public, okay? That's what these tracts, that's that's the messaging that they convey. It's so odd, but they do. Next, homosexuals, Freemasons, Wiccans, tabletop gamers, and readers of Harry Potter books are all possessed by demons. We can just keep adding to the list. Yes. Some atheists don't just worship demons. They are demons. Oh, those demonic atheists. The world is a very dangerous place indeed, and the devil rules over all of us. Uh. The Catholic Church is at the center of a worldwide satanic conspiracy. Hmm. Oh, and a twofer for the Catholic Church. Uh, The Catholic Church is to blame for pretty much every war and tragedy since its creation. Mm. But since we're an equal opportunity insulter, Islam is a front organization for the Catholic Church. Or at least that's how it started out. Or at least that's what Jack Chick wants us to think. Um, And then, of course, evolution is a religion. Mm. And, you know, I've heard this recently. So some of this stuff does pervade the culture pretty heavily. Oh, I love this one. Oh, he's he's so not alone with this one. But the authorized version or King James version, they're not exactly the same thing. But you know, they're they're very very close. The authorized version or King James version of the Bible is the only modern version that God inspired. Nearly all other versions of the Bible are lies corrupted by humans and or Satan. Wow. And didn't we hear this one in college? Yeah. With with one of our uh, professors calling the NIV the non-inspired version. Yeah, that That sort of thing. Yeah, that was a thing. And lastly, on this little list of chick-tracked themes, people can only relate to other people of the same gender and ethnic groups. So... Many best-selling tracks need to be rewritten to change the characters to women or to black people or to other very narrow demographics. Wow. Um, now, I will cite one of Brandy's draw synopses because, A, it shows just how reprobate this person's mind was when he was writing this shit, how morally devoid and misogynistic he was when it came to his opinions on things like incest and child molestation. Just how horrible this is is mind-blowing. We're talking about a tract that is so vile that even Chick's own organization doesn't want it associated with them and has stopped printing it. I'm talking, of course, about a little tract called Lisa. And here's her very succinct synopsis of this particular tract. The most disturbing tract in Chick's library is undoubtedly Lisa, a no longer published tale of Henry, a father whose family doctor confronts him with the knowledge that he's been molesting his own daughter. Instead of reporting the abuse to authorities, the doctor preaches to Henry, and after a quick prayer, Henry repents, and that's apparently that. Mm -hmm. No consequences. Yeah. He accepted Jesus, so it's okay now. It's disgusting. Yeah. And it is is morally putrescent, as far as I'm concerned, to even suggest such a thing. But it does show you precisely where his mind was at, and the way that he thought— And is this someone that you want guiding you into a new spiritual journey? Because if this is the person that steers you in that direction, then it's likely that you will at least initially think like him. And that's very, very, very scary that you'll think like him about anything. 
Now, my personal favorite, if you want to call it a favorite, I put favorite in big ass air quotes in my notes, is one called The Death Cookie. And apparently I'm not alone. Yeah. This Catholic bashing train wreck has a bit of a cult following, and it has one of the most condescending descriptions on the whole Chick Tract website. Here's what Chick Publications says about the death cookie. Quote, introduces Catholics to the real bread of life, Jesus Christ. Come on now. Are they serious? This is a story about how Satan invented communion to ensnare people in Catholicism, never allowing them to experience things like independent thought, personal freedom, and the only true Christianity, evangelicalism, which, ironically enough, also deprives people of these things. Mm. Oddly enough, Jack Chick was right about the Egyptian connection with communion that he describes in the tract. I mean, some of the details are off, but the origin is actually correct. But all that proves is what we've said here repeatedly. Most religions borrow from other religions to make all their own pieces fit. Transubstantiation was mysterious enough to the uneducated, and most early adopters of Catholicism had no clue about any culture but their own, so it was all new to them. They had no idea what the Egyptian traditions were. They were just presented with this thing, and they believed it because that's what you do when it comes to religion. Mm -hmm. That's all you can do when it comes to religion, is either believe it or decide you don't. Now, Jack Chick died on October 23rd, 2016. And I swear, I never saw so many fuck eulogies for someone all over the internet. This guy actually gives Rush Limbaugh a run for his money, and Rush received a lot of them. Yeah. But I accidentally uncovered a bunch of articles that were written about his death. Wasn't looking for that. But so many of the articles that are out there that are about him, kind of, it's kind of, you know, I don't like to speak well of someone dying but these articles celebrate this guy's death and i think in a lot of ways rightly so you can take that any way that you want i don't revel in somebody's death but i also believe that there are certain people who are walking around on this planet right now and who have in the past who would make or have made the universe a better place by simply not being here anymore Um, and jack chick is definitely one of those individuals Unfortunately, his work is continuing. Yeah. But who knows how long that's going to go on for. So I came across a bunch of these. And all I can say is that they roasted the ever-loving shit out of this guy. And here are just a few snippets. This is from a website called minpost.com. And it had this to say about him. Jack T. Chick, the creator of those horrifying evangelical cartoon booklets found for years in the bus stations, laundromats, video arcades, and park benches of America's cities, died on Sunday at age 92. The more evil they are, the longer they linger. It's amazing. All that anger you would think would have given him a heart attack like years ago. Yeah, I know. Uh, Chick typically took the most extreme position on any given topic. And the tracks were variously anti-Catholic, anti-gay, anti-Muslim, anti-Mormon, anti-evolution, and anti-everything else you can think of. We just keep adding more to that list. The lurid nature of the illustrations underlined the nature of the philosophy. Chick tracks were not meant to gently instruct or present sober moral arguments. They were designed to shock you into repentance. And here comes Brandy's Drosny again. 
For a majority of non-believers and the moderately religious, Chick's life work is viewed as a combination of a kind of folk art, hate literature, and hardcore Protestant pornography. The designation depends on in whose hands the three-by-five-inch booklets rest. And then this one comes from Sam Chris of Vice Magazine. Jack Chick died on Sunday. It was a moment he'd been waiting for all his life. He was, in his own way, an incredibly successful man, an architect of the satanic panic, and a hero of the religious right. Now, if I could say anything about Jack Chick, it would be that he understood a thing or two about marketing, because what he did worked. From the visuals to the way that he presented his narrative, all of these things really, really worked in his favor. And like I said a minute ago, so much of his work is thematically identical that all he had to do was plug a certain formula into the equation. And he was able to churn out so much of this stuff and kind of stretch his demographic to a much, much, much wider audience. Now, one of the things that I think about when I think about Chick Tracks is the narrative aspect of how they're written, because a lot of tracks just sort of present the gospel and they present it in, you know, a kind of casual, conversational sort of way. But Chick tracks actually told a complete story, or more to the point, they dropped you into the middle of a story. There was no real distinct beginning. You right. just sort of came in in the middle of a conversation with most of these yeah. and you became a fly on the wall. And the stories, they were definitely gluey. You, yeah. when you started reading them, you did, you know, at least I did have this sense of wanting to know what happened next. But even when I was in the thick of this, I knew there was something off about these oh, yeah. that I really shouldn't pay much attention to them, but I did find them interesting and I agreed with them philosophically. I just didn't really agree with them in terms of the overall delivery, but from a pure marketing standpoint, he found something that worked and figured out a way to make it keep working for a very, very, very long time. So in that regard, I'm not going to say you have to admire him, but I think there's at least a bit that can be learned from him and the way that he did this because narrative and storytelling are very, very, very powerful marketing tools. Oh yeah. As I learned very early on in my career as a professional copywriter, because a lot of what I was doing in the beginning was writing what we called autoresponder emails. And they followed a narrative format. And we found that they actually got a lot more play than just a basic sales email ever would. Because even though it was obvious that what they were reading was just narrative, it was engaging. And that's the thing about Chick Tracts is that they're engaging. The language sometimes is very caustic and sometimes nonsensical, like that one line that I read from the bull. Yeah. It can get very, very nonsensical at times. It doesn't stop you from wanting to know what happens next. And that is the appeal of them. That's the enigmatic appeal of a Jack Chick tract is that as you turn the pages, he figured out a way to make sure that you always wanted to know what happened next, even though you knew what the end of the story was going to be. You know, the bad guy was going to get saved and you were going to hear the gospel message again. You always knew that there was a at least happy-ish ending to these. The baddie in the story usually was the one that got saved and there were the heroic Christians 
that brought the person to repentance. Mm. That's most chick chats right there. And yeah, he had such a talent for just coming up with story after story after story that he could plug right into this formula and appeal to even more people with it. It really is too bad that he had to use the talents that he had to fuel ignorance, blind hatred, and fairy tales. Imagine a collection of tiny comic books that taught things like science and philosophy. Really? What about a collection of comics that's old true stories about things like U.S. history? There are so many more relevant vendettas that this guy could have pursued. I personally think that it's sad. Yeah. Because there was something going on inside his head that actually could have done good for humanity. And instead, this is what he did with his talents. And it really sucks. Now, let's steer away from Jack Chick at this point. Because I think that we've given him enough of a spotlight for one episode. And we're kind of at the wind down point with this. I'm going to just give you a few parting thoughts on the subject of gospel tracts and the way that I see them now. Any way you want to look at it, tracts are weapons. They're the ammo in a lot of Christians' armories, especially when they're in groups and in other instances where they enjoy a little strength in numbers. Over the past few years, people who write and distribute tracts have put up a few good facades. They say things like, don't tip with tracts and don't litter and don't cop an attitude when people reject you. But how many people actually listen? And with the violent and threatening nature of so many of the tracks out there, particularly the older ones and the ones stamped JTC, how can you tell people not to be insulting and then tell them to hand somebody a copy of something like The Bull? And nothing says, I'm too white to understand any people group of my own, like handing a person of color a track that has been clearly written by white people to prove how well they understand black people. Mm. And just because a website tells you not to tip with tracts on the heels of providing a section called Tipping Tracts to choose from, the fake bill tracts are still out there. And I assure you, People still use them to save $10 on their after-church luncheon, completely forgetting the whole whatsoever-you-do principle of Christian responsibility and charity toward others. And for the record, tipping a server isn't charity. It is responsibility. We assume that responsibility as soon as our ass hits that seat and menus open, in case I wasn't clear about this earlier. So it's bottom line time, and I'm just going to pose the question, are tracts harmful? The answer, of course, is yes, and for obvious reasons. They're harmful for what they represent and what they exist to accomplish. The world doesn't need any more Christians, and they sure as shit don't need to be the kind of Christian that learns what Christianity is from a shitbag like Jack Chick. Nothing like starting off your spiritual journey on a path of hate, fear, ignorance, and intolerance, is there? They're also harmful to the environment when people spread them like a virus all over town and in places they're never wanted nor allowed. You can tell people to remember where you left them and pick them up when you see them, but let's be real. You're not going to get them all. They're going to create a lot of litter and they're going to create more problems and people will be far more resentful of them than they ever will be grateful that they found one, especially if they're picking them up off their lawn. Many tracts are also harmful in their delivery, threatening people with violence, albeit spiritual and fictional, but still violence, if they choose to use their rational minds and reject the absurdity that is the gospel. But even the ones that are a little softer and a lot friendlier still promote ideologies that have proliferated the world enough. 
Finally, they're harmful in how they allow some people to hide behind them. People hide behind them when they don't want to witness. They hide behind them when they have no clear apologetic that they can explain. And they hide behind them to save that 20% on their dinner out. So, if you see a gospel tract of any kind, this includes copies of The Watchtower and other fringe evangelical propaganda material, the best thing you can do is pick it up and dispose of it properly. Don't leave it for someone else to find. Don't let it create litter. And if you're coming out of this thing and you still feel a tug toward it, do not read it. The simple act of throwing it away is an act of righteous defiance, strength, wisdom, and intelligence on your part. It will feel good. You will feel relieved. You will feel smart and empowered. Most importantly, it will take you another crucial step toward getting and staying unbound. enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.